Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We have Sayyid Haider Hassanain with us. Assalamu alaikum, Sayyid. Alaikum assalam, dear Shaykh. It's, it's an honor to have you here and a pleasure to speak with you. Alhamdulillah. We had a lecture with you a little bit a few weeks ago, so I got to talk to you. But before that, it's been so long. And Alhamdulillah, we have this opportunity to keep in touch. Alhamdulillah, Shaykh. The tawfiq is for me to you know speak to you. Now, I'm sorry to get you out of your house at this really bad time. No, it's three. It's three forty-five right now in the morning. But I actually normally wake up at three. So every oh, really? day I woke up at three, and I uh, have I have a checklist of things that I do. And because right. before work, if I don't wake up super early, I won't be able to do my things before I go to work. And then right. when I come back from work, I'm tired. So if I want to do these right. things, I have to do them early in the morning. So. I've, st- uh, I've accustomed okay. myself to waking up this early, so Mashallah. it was fine. I knew I'd be awake. The only issue is that my parents, or my parents, my my wife and my children are asleep. <laughs> and if uh, I did this interview in the house, then we'd wake him up, and that wouldn't be good. So let that wouldn't be good. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. yes. So actually, I have like a checklist. So there's a book. I don't know if you've seen this book. It's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yes. Yeah. I have. I yeah. have. I haven't read all of it, but mm. I began reading and it was it was incredible. I, it is amazing. It is. It's one of the I'm best reading. goal setting books, right? To teach you right. how to goal set right. and schedule yeah. yourself. It's really good. Right. So what I, I, I haven't replicated that process exactly, so I've tweaked it to my own, right? And I think everyone has to do that. So you take it as kind of like a framework and then you make right. whatever changes you think are necessary, right? Right. And so basically what I liked from it is categorizing the different dimensions of your life before you schedule them. Right. Right. So, for instance, for me, my relationship with the law is important. And right. right. My Islamic activities are important, for instance. And then maybe exercise would be down the line a little bit more. Right. Although right. Ex- for some other people, health and exercise might be number one. Number so one, it, right. it really depends on <laughs> yeah. on the individual. So I've categorized different dimensions of my life. And then I, I write like weekly goals for each category. And then if I meet that goal, I add to it the next week. If I don't meet that goal, then I keep trying and struggling to meet, to make it the next week. And if I can't make it for four or five weeks in a row, then I, then I, Erase something off of it so I could try to. <laughs> so it's it's a work that's in progress, a, but yeah. Shaykh, that's such a systematic way to you know mm. live a person's life. It's amazing. Um, so is this something you always had, like from no, the US or no? This is definitely not something I've always like, had. Were you naturally an organized person? Were you kind of like an unorganized person? No, I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm natural. At least I used to be naturally lazy. You know, and I really? wouldn't do anything. <laughs> but then when I went to Hausa, I uh, I got inspired, obviously, to try to improve my life and do more. And right. also when I was in Hausa, my sleep patterns changed. So before right. Hausa, I would sleep forever. And then in Hausa, there's just so much, there's so much we have to do. You have to study, you have to, uh, and you want to, I mean, not have to, but like there's the desire to learn more. And right. And also, obviously, worship and things like this. So you in- increase the amount of time that you're spending on your relationship with God and 
your activities of the day, which at that time is studying. And I got accustomed right. to that. So after Hausa, I tried to maintain that level of commitment to whatever I do. Right. So like, for right. instance, now I'm doing right. psychology. So one of the things I have in the morning is to study various things pertaining to psychology. So I read the diagnostic manuals. So I randomly pick a chapter and read a chapter a day. I read an article on psychometric testing. I read an article on positive psychology. And I read an article on um, virtue ethics as well. And I try to... And, and I do that every day. So then, therefore, my, my knowledge increases. I also make flashcards and go over the flashcards. No, okay. Yeah. Wow. And then with that's, Islamic that's topics as well. And, and the stuff I do for grace, like now. Like I, right, right. I have a list of things that I want to do to kind of improve grace as well so that, like every little dimension you work on yeah. right that, that's amazing because <laughs> it's amazing to hear that you know like you went to house and this is like a skill which you actually picked up while you were there because yeah. i think i'm kind of similar um not you know to your degree yet inshallah <laughs> one day but you know like I, I wasn't a very organized person i'm not naturally some people are naturally organized and they can't bear this organization but like me i was the opposite i was naturally just you know really all over the place disorganized and i remember as a kid i'd like watch the clock and the day would never end I was like oh there's still like 10 hours to go over the day <laughs> but after coming to house like one of the biggest things which really you know changed my life was exactly this mm. getting to know how important organization is you know and yep. now it's the opposite now it's like the day just finishes yeah and you know there's still so much that needed to be done and you have to sleep True. So we can make most for the next day. But when you're organized, it's it's amazing how much you could get done as well. Right, right, yeah. right. Like that sense of achievement at the end of the day that you're like, mm -hmm. you know, I this was this was a good day. Yeah. I you know I, I got stuff done. It's yeah. Such a good yeah. feeling. Such it a is. nice feeling. It is. Like right. no people like I don't know like I think it's not it's weird because sometimes you might think that well, we often think people often think that you know the ideal day is just like sleeping in to like 2 p.m mm. but you know when you do that you f i don't know i just feel so bad about myself <laughs> i feel like i'm waking up at 2 p.m okay great but i'm just wasted off of my day yeah, yeah whereas like you get you know a good head start to wake up early yeah there's even an english thing about it right and think it goes like um english proverb something like um Huh, early to bed and early to rise yeah, makes yeah. a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's so true. <laughs> it is so true. I, I, I hear the one, the early bird gets the worm. I like that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's there as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's amazing how similar that is to what Islam says, right? Like getting up early, yeah, being up definitely. between, you know, Fajr and sunrise. And even before Fajr, time. waking up a little bit and before, before Fajr. Fajr right? That time is as golden. The time is going as you're demonstrating right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anything, anything you do in that period, I feel like maybe forty-five minutes to an hour before Fajr, till Fajr right. time. That period is just—I think that's peak performance period. At least if you get yourself in the, once you get yourself accustomed to being awake at that time. You know what I mean? Right. So, as the time progresses and gets closer to Fajr, I feel I get more and more awake. And I'm, I'm able right. to, you know, whatever I decide to put my energy in at that time, it's it's more effective. And then throughout That's the day, throughout the day, it kind of decreases. Right. And then at yeah. time, like last night, last night, I actually I messaged one of my friends because my son wanted to go to his house and play a, a board game. 
So I messaged him. I'm like, hey, let's let's hang out. And he's like, um, I'm sitting with my uncle right now. I'll let you know when I'm done. And then I passed out and fell asleep. <laughs> no way. I, so I think I fell asleep at like 9.30 last night or something. Oh, um, no way. Yeah. Wow. And I woke up. I and think I, many yeah. single people struggle to fall asleep at 9.30, Shane. <laughs> Mashallah, that's amazing. I know, so they I have know. no excuse anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sure All right, say it. Yes, so, sir. right now, all this news about what's happening in America with uh, George right. Floyd and the Black George Lives Floyd. Matter movement and all of the these uh, police that keep killing these innocent African-American men, right? What's going right. on? And now, now I see all the protests. I actually didn't look at the news when I woke up. So, it's been about six hours or so since I've seen the news. But I know there was protests everywhere. And I know last night in America people were breaking the curfew and, and protesting and I don't I don't right. I haven't seen what happened afterwards but it's pretty um pretty intense there it seems at least from afar because neither of us are actually in America right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely Sheikh I yeah um I don't know exactly what the late like I haven't checked the news for a few hours as well but uh, generally speaking it, you know there's I think one thing that we often don't realize uh, especially, I think maybe you can relate this more, Sheikh, because you know you are, you know, you were in America. You know, you're an American, and you know, also you're a revert. Whereas people like myself are like born into Muslim families. I mean, and we're not, you know, we're not of African American origin. A lot of the time, the reality is, uh, black lives don't matter for us, mm. unfortunately. To, you know, put it, put it very bluntly, and it's not like, you know, injustice against African Americans started when George Floyd, you know, very sadly passed away. You know, and there are many cases like this one. It's something that recurs there a lot. This one happened to go viral. Mm. But it's not like it started a few days ago when George Floyd, you know, very sadly passed away. Um, The issue is much bigger than George Floyd. But I think the good thing is that, you know, every movement does kind kind of need a symbol and emblem. Um, so George Floyd's kind of become that symbol and emblem at the moment, you know, to reveal the injustice of the American regime against African Americans, mm. and you know that that's very good. And uh, but it's just I don't know. It's it's really painful, really painful. It's so painful just yeah. knowing that you know, like African Americans. It's not like you know they live this day in and day out, right? Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like you know, it's that fear. I mean, obviously, that I'm not African American either, right? No, so, no, sure, but, cause, um, but cause I have lived in, yeah, I have lived in the states, and but like because I'm not African American, I can never know the struggle that they feel from within. I could try to empathize with them, but obviously, the the looks that they get walking down the street and going into stores and the racism that they experience on a day to day level is something that I never will experience, and I'll never be able to to really feel firsthand what it feels like for them being black in America, right? It's just something that, that I, you know, I haven't been dealt those cards in life, right? right. But at the right. same time, I can definitely witness the struggles that they go through and I could see the racism that they experience. And, you know, even in, like, for instance, in that same city, where George Floyd was killed a year before, there was another person, I believe his name was Castile. 
and he was shot like numerous times with his child in the back seat. He was in the passenger side, and he told the cop, he's like, I have a gun in my glove department box. I am not reaching for it. So they got stopped on a traffic stop. I am not reaching for it. And the cop just unloaded and started shooting and killed him. So, and, and that caused a big uproar at the time, and then it was forgotten about. But you're right, it's something that's re- reoccurring. So it's not only the racism that, or the explicit racism that African Americans have to endure, right? There's also the institutionalized racism that you could see, right. you know, the, I think, I'm going to get these statistics wrong, but I think they make up around 12 to 13% of the of the American population, but over 30% of the prison system. And I know that's, I'm sure those numbers are wrong. It might even be more exaggerated, but the amount of, you know, white people are arrested more, right? right. Because there's more of them. And then African-Americans are convicted more, get, get higher sentences and are represented in the penal system much more. And then police, they target, you know, if it's either some of the police are just outright racist and they target African-Americans because they hate them. And some are just profiling them. And because of some, you know, whatever racist ideologies they have in their minds, when they see an African-American, they're like, he's dangerous. And then they respond to him differently. And then, right, that, right. and then that causes, you know, a lot of incidents and a lot of innocent people being killed. So it's a really, it's a, it's a terrible situation there. And, you know, people just need to wake up to themselves and just keep raising awareness and keep trying to change this status quo that exists right now there. I don't, I don't know how, like, I was, I was listening to... A former basketball player, Stephen Jackson, give a give a talk, and it was a very emotional talk, and it really it touched my heart. He was like, you know, we've witnessed all of these murders throughout our life. So he's he's older now; he's retired. He's like, we've right. we, we've witnessed this. This is something that, as as black men, we have experienced. But now our kids are, and he's like, my six year old daughter came to me, and said, Dad. Do you need me to come out with you? And I said, why? He said, because I saw what happened to your friend. So this person actually knew George Floyd. He was George Floyd's friend, this this former basketball player. And he's wow. like, I saw what happened to your friend. And I'm, you know, basically I'm worried that something's going to happen to you when you leave the house. So I'll come with you. Like, he's like, no, I don't need you to protect me. Like, I'll be okay. But it's like a six-year-old kid has to think about these things and experience these things. And this hurt him, and it hurts anyone who, who listens to that. It's just these injustices that happen, you know, in a place that claims to be, you know, the, That's the, the home right. of human rights and all of that. But it's like, it's, it's difficult That's to the, see. That's like the most infuriating part of it, right? As if it wasn't enough that you're institutionally racist as if that wasn't bad enough right as in apart from that to lecture the world about human rights yeah. and you know to consider some countries and regimes to be inhumane because xyz and 
who's like look who's speaking it's mm -hmm. it's just so the irony of it is just so like unbelievable yeah and, and people often think like you know we live in a civilized world we don't I, we just have iPhones. Like, I really think that, like, nothing's changed. We just have cars and iPhones and tablets. But literally, if anything, it's got worse. Because back in the day, you could shoot an arrow, kill one person. Now, you just have to press a button and boom, like, you know, an entire city's wiped out. Mm. So, uh, we don't live in a civilized world. Yeah. We, we really wow. don't. Uh, it's, uh, but, Sheikh, I think one thing which is really, like, a practical point, and I think it's important, is... It's not right that, you know, when, for example, a black person or an African-American is targeted, right? The majority of those protesting are going to be other African-Americans. Where's everyone else? How, like, how have we, because that's in our hands, isn't it? It's not like we're forced to not use our right to protest. Or, for example, in London, when I was growing up there, we had many protests going on. London's capital city, um, you know, you, you've been there yourself, so, you know. So all the embassies are there. So always something's going on, right? So during the um, the Arab Spring, mm -hmm. there were a lot of protests, and you know, but every single time you notice a pattern, right? Like if it's a Bahrain protest, mostly Bahrainis. If it's an Iraq protest, mostly Iraqis. Pakistan protest, most Pakistanis. Yemen, mostly. So where's everyone else? It's you know, it's only a minority of individuals who are not from that community who are going to come out and protest and injustice is being done. But that's so that's just terrible. Yeah. That's wrong. As in on, on the news footage, I agree with your point 100%. On the news footage, I ha I've actually seen diverse crowds in these protests. But I don't know if it's the news just trying to highlight, you know, the few non-African American people who are participating in these protests, which that, think, could, that could think, be I, it. Because you're right. Like, yeah. I, I experienced the I, same. Generally speaking, that's, the, that's normally the except. Alhamdulillah, like, it's good. Like, this is waking up people and, you know, I mean, the people are waking up and there are always those who, you know, they'll come no matter who it is. And that's beautiful to see. But I think generally speaking, you know, normally it's just the community that's affected mm. directly. Mm. That's normally there, you know, and someone else will pass by and they'll be like, oh, that's so sad. And then just go, go by as if it's not related to them. Right. As in the fact that we as human beings have become so inhumane, we identify ourselves not as human, but as a certain like, you know, ethnic group or like, certain skin color or culture, right? Mm. That, like, from its foundation, it's an absolutely wrong way of thinking. Yeah. And, you know, the worst part of it is when you see Muslims doing it because our religion teaches the opposite. 100%. Our religion came to unite humanity 100%. under, you know, as human beings. Mm. So you have to care for everyone, yeah. not only one race or one group. But even, like the narration says, dear Shaykh, um, and you know, it's better than me, of course, like a person from the Prophet, he said, um, someone who hears a man a person calling muslims for help and doesn't respond he's not a muslim didn't say here's a muslim any person mm. you know as in calling muslims for help we have a duty to help them yeah. um because you're a muslim you know and people should be benefiting from your presence mm. this is one of your duties towards allah towards people we don't see a lot of the time not all of us a lot of us um we don't we don't we don't see it that way and it's it's really painful. All of us should be like with the Black Lives Matter campaign, for example, right? 100%. Every one of us should be part of that campaign, irrespective of where we're from, what color we are, because of our religion. Yeah, I agree. But, I agree, Said, 100%. And it is, it is unfortunate that, you know, I actually see, for instance, the Palestine cause, right?
Right. And you'll see in the States, a lot of people protest, but mostly it's like people, the socialist groups and things like this will protest. And you'll see very few right. Muslims there, even though it's a cause that's, that's dear to Muslims. Right? So like you see, like you see, I don't know. I think, I think the Muslim community is kind of lackadaisical when it comes to this. Like, I think, I think maybe it's fear of retribution from the authorities. Maybe it's uh, just, you know, the mindset has changed and we don't care about people anymore. We just care about ourselves and making money and live, doing, you know, living the American dream, quote unquote, or whatever, whatever the, whatever the reason is. It's unfortunate, and I definitely feel that side of the religion has been overlooked. And the need to identify people who are oppressed and brainstorm ways to help them overcome the oppression that they're they're facing is something that we really don't do as much as we should, if at all. Right. And it's definitely something that hopefully, you know, we could improve in and, and the our communities could improve in and inshallah throughout you know, it's a struggle, right? We're we're on yeah. a we're on a movement yeah. and we have to just do our best. That's it. Absolutely. Inshallah. Absolutely. All right, say it. I wanted to change topics and sure. get to know you a little bit more, right? Or <laughs> I know you will, but inshallah everyone else can know you. <laughs> and um I wanted to discuss a little bit about Hausa. So I know you've been in Hausa for a number of years now. I think it's uh, six, eight yeah. years, something like that. It's my seventh year. Shay. Seventh year. So I was right in between. Yeah. yeah for... You're right. <laughs> uh, so um, what what made you go in the first place? So in 2013 or something, what made you yeah, go was... to the Hausa? When I go to Hausa... Um... Wow, so you know it's an amazing question because <laughs> it can open you know a huge conversation that yeah. could go on for ages. But I'll try to keep it concise. Um, so what made me go to Hausa? The first thing and the main thing was, to be honest, um, I took part in uh, an annual trip that takes place. I think you've been on it yourself, Sheikh. Not as a participant, but as a mentor. The Al Asr trip. Yes, that I takes love place the Al Asr trip, and I love these. Right. I love these. Um, <laughs> these these Ziara trips that go there and concentrate on the youth, and they have some of the some of the students that are there, the scholars that are there studying, participate, and try to motivate and encourage the youth to be more religious. I think they're great, and Al Asr does. I know they've been going going on for over twenty years. Almost, if it takes if it takes place this year, it's going to be the twenty eighth year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So I took part in that trip as a participant. I was um sixteen, but um alhamdulillah, I was already religious. Like I practiced what I knew, and you know I um what brought me my mother since she got to know religion um anew because she was brought up more as a cultural Muslim. So when she got to know the religion uh, better, um, she tried to pass it on to me. I was about two years old. So Alhamdulillah, like you know, I had that um, privilege and blessing, and of having a mother who you know really, really tried to instill that in me. And I responded to that. You know, I that it was, it was, it was good. So I was praying and all of that. But what kind of gave 
made religion very relevant to me was reading a book called Self-Building by Ayatollah Ibrahim Amin, the translation, I didn't know Farsi at that time. Um, he passed away this Shah Ramadan. Yeah. So on the first day of Shah Ramadan, he passed away, Allah have mercy on him. So, but that book, Shaykh, really, you know, made me know Islam anew. You know, it gave depth to my Islam. Mm. You know, it, you know, it, it was an amazing, amazing experience reading that book. And you know, I, I was soaking it all in. I was a teenager, so Alhamdulillah, it kept me away from a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> fell into my hands at the right time. So I was, I started practicing more, um, you know, seriously, and maybe in a more deep manner. And about one year after that, the Alasu trip, I went on that. It was my first time in either Iraq or Iran. I'd mm. never set foot in those countries. Um, and I'd heard about Hawza, I had no, it was like, I think so many of us had. And, you know, it's just like this cloudy idea. You know, you go there, you become a good, I don't know what you do there. You come <laughs> back and you're looking like this, you know, like you just don't know what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wasn't, you know, intending to study there because I didn't really know much about it. But um, so what happened in this trip was my first time in Iran and Iraq. It was incredible. I'd visited Lady Zainab her shrine when I was 11 years old. Mm. But that was an amazing experience in itself. But after that, I hadn't gone anywhere else. Um, so sorry, I'd bit, I did my Hajj actually, my dad. Okay. I did my Hajj. But I, I think, I, yeah, but I was a bit, I, spiritually, I wasn't really there. Like, mm. you know, Alhamdulillah, my Hajj was done. But, I, you know, <laughs> I didn't benefit as much as I could have. Um, so my first Ziyara trip, where I was, I think, somewhat ready to actually mm. benefit, you know, was the Alasra trip I went to when I was 16. So I remember it was um, four weeks that trip. Yeah. And um, it was one week in Qom, one week in Mashhad, one week in Najaf, one week in Karbala. And as you know, Shaykh, just for the sake of the others who might not know, apart from Ziyara, they also, you know, they bring teachers for you who know English. And I think you were one of them in one of the years, or maybe more than one of the years. Mm. Um, and they give you lessons in different subjects. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, you actually get a taste of Islam. You get to learn your religion. Um, and, and again, some of these teachers are with you, living with you. So you can literally just like get to know them, be friends with them. Yes, from their I remember. I that was amazing. I participated, I think, either two or three years in a row. And, oh really? No way. <laughs> and we would actually, and it, at that time they wouldn't go to Najaf and Karbala, so the the whole trip was Iran. It was Iran only, right? Only right. Iran, and you'd spend right. maybe half the time in Qom, half the time in Mashhad, and you'd do like a small little trip to Tehran and maybe some Islam. other little city or something. Yeah, and yeah. I remember like I'd live, so I'd spend the whole month with the with the group. And then no, you have I, one month to really bond with everybody. Bond you know with I mean? yeah. And we'd sleep in the same like dormitories or whatever that, that right, they would yeah, have. Yeah. We'd wrestle with them at night. I remember like, because I was bigger than everyone, right? So I'd, it'd be like all of them against me. And it was, it was always fun. Yeah. <laughs> was Sheikh, I remember Sheikh Hamza though. Sheikh Hamza knows how to wrestle. So did yeah. And he came and he destroyed people. <laughs> <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> that was funny, but it was really good to to um to to have that opportunity to connect with youth and right. and really experience things with them because that that actually helped me when I moved back and when I would go on Tablik that I had this experience right. with with a group of t of you know late teens, early twenties, and I was, and it just gave me that you know that extra 
ability to connect when I go to their to their hometown. And I remember when I was in the UK, because the majority of people come from the UK, they come from the states and Canada to. as well. They used to shake a change oh, okay. now. Oh wow! All right. So at that point, it was maybe like eighty-five, ninety percent from the UK, and then you'd have right. a few right. others. And right. when I went to the UK and I was there for close to a year, I would connect with people that I met remember. on the trip. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Wow. That, right. Yeah. So you're on the Al Asr trip. So I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was a sixteen-year-old on the Al Asr trip, and it was literally just what I needed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, so the first place we came to was home and, um, I, yeah, I, I'd read, there is a small book, it's available on the internet, I read it online actually, about Lady Ma'asum, just, you know, a small summary of, you know, quick information about her. So I'd read that before going, um, to prepare myself, but, uh, Shaykh, like the feeling I had when I entered the shrine, Lady Ma'asum, I, I've never had that feeling anywhere else in my life. And it was a feeling of so much, you know, love, spiritual love, spirituality. Um, you know, it was beyond words. I could, can't describe it. I'd have it every time I'd go there. I'd like just find a little corner and just, you know, I'd, it was like everyone else just faded away. It was yeah. just me and, you know, the lady and her shrine. And um, I've never had that feeling before. And when I, I remember when I left Qom, when we left Qom for Mashhad, um, it, I was feeling this deep pain in my heart. And I was feeling like really, really, really like sad. It was really strange. And um, it stayed with me until I came back to Qom. Mm. Like it was like, you know, I felt like I belonged there. Yeah. I felt like I need to be there, you know, and that was what actually pulled me back and you know brought me back some years later um when i went back to uk i actually i was gonna i was close to dropping out of school because i'm like i'm going to home i don't care the guy <laughs> that's how bad it was <laughs> literally I was so that's how bad it was so i was mm. after the first chance to go back mm. which came some years later alhamdulillah but i remember like my first year in um in hausa um just finished farsi and I was doing, you know, the Tamhidiyah course, the crash course, and, you know, they give you in about six months mm. the basic Islamic studies before you start the real studies. So during Tamhidiyah, one of our teachers, our Saraf teacher, actually, he would, you know, kind of, our class was a big class, a lot of, there were a few clowns in our class, you know, a lot of, like, messing around and stuff. So he'd be like, you know, why don't you study? You came here for the sake of studying, came here for the sake of learning. And I'd be sitting there saying to myself, I don't come here to learn, I don't come here to study. I care because Lady Masum on That's why I'm here. What's this? I'm here to study. Like, I, like, I have to study because I'm here and it's fine, but that's not why I came. So it was, and Sheikh, like, I remember the first year I'd go to the shrine and, um, you know, I just felt like I'm healing. Like, I, I felt like after being in London for 20 years of my life and you know I felt like I'm healing up I felt like I'm healing I felt like I'm healing you know it's like you know like someone's putting a bandage around your wound with a spiritual wound mm-hmm. and I remember after coming back because <clears throat> I'd never had the experience before after coming back from Iraq and Iran I felt so out of place and strange walking in the streets of London because for one whole month you haven't seen an uncovered person for one, you haven't you haven't seen anything 
bad pretty much right mm-hmm. you're only surrounded you know by, by these holy cities and places and spirituality and you hardly heard the curse words you know which is every time you go outside over there you hear something you know you haven't seen anything over there unless you're like walking with your eyes closed you end up seeing something mm-hmm. and i felt so like just so out of place yeah and i felt sheikh i felt so weird looking at women just not mm-hmm. normal looking you in the halal kind of looking which is like you know i i, I couldn't do it mm-hmm. and i remember asking one sheikh for advice i was like sheikh i i know you know i know the ruling is you are allowed to look at you know an an uncovered woman the place that she normally uncovers in you know western country for example we can look if it's not with desire you can look a normal look it's fine but you know the idea of lowering the gate lowering the gates can i apply that here mm. in london and you know he said um this is a part of islamic culture and it's good if you do apply it so i started yeah. and i i wouldn't look like i just have my head down and i remember my i was doing spanish at that time which i've forgotten completely unfortunately um i didn't want to be in school i, I was forced to go <laughs> so uh, my heart I, st- I studied spanish for four years in in high school <laughs> I can barely, no way. I can only say a few sentences now, though. <laughs> okay, that makes, that makes sorry. That makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, my Spanish teachers, right? They were both women, females. They were both ladies. So, they were um, annoyed by that. I wasn't looking at them, but they didn't tell me. They told my like the class tutor. So, um, he spoke to me very respectfully. He's like, "Look, um, I notice you don't look at your female teachers," and I explained to him. I was like, "Look, in our religion." This is how we respect women, lowering the gates and so on. And he got really happy, but you know, like it was to that extent. Like I just felt so. After being in Rome, I felt Sheikh. I've never had that feeling for anywhere else. Um, I felt this is where I have to be. And Subhanallah, seven years being here, I still have that feeling. Nothing's changed. I'm, I knew you. I knew you before you went to Qom, though. So I, I, you, yes, I knew yes, you yes, yes. a few years before. So if you went, you know, yeah. You went to Al Asr. What year did you go on Al Asr? Oh, I think it was twenty ten. Okay. 20, if I'm not mistaken, it was twenty ten. So that, and I think, I think is that the year I was in, in in London. You were you were in the U. So when you were in the UK, I had been on Al Asr already. Yeah. Okay. So it's afterwards. So, okay. Afterwards, okay. yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so that was I, really nice. Like, yeah. Shay, having you like there mm-hmm. was really nice because you know like. Because I remember at that point you were, like, I remember you at that point being very religious, <laughs> very religious young brother. <laughs> yeah. It was so nice having you and seeing you. Even though you were in um, Luton. Luton, yeah. But um, you just, I, you know, when I'd come up, you'd come down. It was really nice. Because, yeah. you know, like, it was like an oasis. Literally having, like, an alley from Rome after Al-Asr in, like, you know, a Western country in your home city or close by. He's like, he becomes your haram, you know? Like, he becomes your source of spirituality mm. and um it's amazing like growing up and like i took part in the alastair trip last year as well as a okay, mentor yeah. with my yeah. with my wife both of us together so mm. what is this is for the brothers and subhan i see the same thing over and over literally over and over it's the same thing and i see again there are some youth who will come and they'll come go back but their hearts are still here yeah and they're just like and then they start thinking about what's around them. They start mm. questioning things. They start finding themselves. They start choosing a better path for themselves. Some of them are thinking, you know, like, oh, maybe we should actually go to house and not just become, I don't know, some other profession. Mm. 
Um, so it's amazing how much being physically close to a place which is a holy place or, you know, surrounded by good people can affect, 100%. especially young. 100%, mashallah. All right, so yeah. now you're in Hausa <laughs> for seven years. Seven right? years, yeah. So and it, you, you mentioned at the beginning when you're learning Farsi, your concentration was more about spirituality and yeah, uh, staying with the Sayyidina and going to the Haram. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't have that um that ma'arifa when I when I got there from the beginning, so I didn't have um I didn't have much knowledge at all about who Sayyidina Masuma was, salam. And I but I remember the first place I went to, the first place I was living at was um in Kucheya, Iraq. So it's close to the Haram. Oh really? Yeah. Very close. Yeah. And I remember walking out into going towards the harem because I'd go there every day. So I'd pray, I'd pray there every day and I'd do ziyad every day, obviously. And I remember first couple of days just watching people walk back into that alley and they would turn around and they'd face the harem and they'd, they'd salute it or they'd, they'd bow down and then they'd, they'd walk backwards a few steps into the alley and then turn in and go off, off along their way. I remember yeah. looking at that and I was, like, I was like, wow, that's, it's amazing. And that, <laughs> right. And then, and then just, just that experience stuck with me and really made me realize, all right, this is a special person here. And then I did my research and I, I figured out, you know, who she actually was and what she stood for. And then that increased obviously my love for her and for the harem and, it's just somewhere where I always was. Most of my classes were in the harem as well throughout my studies. And really? No uh, way. Most of my wow. mubahathas were there. Like, I was there for the majority of time I was there. Like, in the harem That's was amazing. where I was doing everything. Yeah, so that was good. I had that, that blessing, alhamdulillah. And, yeah. So, Shay, you went when you were married? If you were no, no. In... So, I got married there in, oh, in Iran. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah. So, did you have the... Al-Mahdi experience. Yes, yes. So <laughs> when I was in yeah. Al-Mahdi, I did have the experience, but not the dormitory. I told him I'm not living in these dorms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh right. Okay. I said, sorry, buddy. I'm, I'm getting my own place. <laughs> well, you were close to the Haram. But I think this was a different time because after me, right. people didn't have that, that leeway. I told him, look, like I had a conversation. I remember I missed one day of class. And I came the next day. So I didn't go one day. I was sick. I don't remember why, but I'm assuming I was sick. And I went and they, they pulled me into the office. You didn't come yesterday. I was like, yeah. And they're like, you need a doctor's note or something. I'm, so, I'm not getting you a doctor's oh, yeah. note. What is wrong with you? Right? I said, look, I, I told him, I know what I'm here for. <laughs> like, this isn't going to happen. Right, yeah. I, I'm responsible enough to take care of myself right. and not not cheat my studies. And I and I had that like one serious conversation with them, and like, all right, he's on, he's switched on. Don't worry about him. And then that was it, right? Yeah. Or or maybe they're like, I don't know how to deal with these Americans, so I don't know. Whatever it was, they they didn't deal with me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was like from there. Like, I was able to do what I wanted. And then even from there, when I went from the Farsi school to my next school, 
Isaac, look, I want my own program. I want to study these books. I want to study under these teachers. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. Right, but I know, right. I know now, it's it's a little harder to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can still, you can. I think, like, yeah, you can still do it, but I think it's more about you. So I think, Sheikh, when you went there, like, you knew what you were after. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, like, you've seen it. Um, people come at different levels, different yeah. ages. Like, some yeah. people are, some of the brothers are really young. Like, they don't yeah, know what they yeah. want yet. No, I was in, I was in my mid twenties, so I came, you know. I guess a little bit later than than everyone else. But I mean, your but your experience of life, like it was, yeah, you know, you yeah, had obviously. life experience. I mean, yeah, yeah. you and if anything, you came to Islam, like that shows, you know, you were you had that independence of first of character to you know to know what you want and not waste your time. But I think yeah. a lot of the brothers um, who come from different places, everyone's coming with a different story, and yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All right, so now, so now you're here seven years. What are you, what are you doing now? What are you studying? Okay, so right now, I'm studying fiqh, mm-hmm. um, usul, and falsafa. Yeah, okay. So they're, the, so they're the three main official things I'm studying. Good. good. And then on the side, you know, I'll have, I'm reading and trying to read Shaykh Al-Tafari books, mm-hmm. um, which are really helpful. Work on Quran, of course. Um, attend you know akhlaq lessons by Aytul Mistah. If, oh, wow. I don't know if he was was he giving them when you were in yeah, Poland yeah, as well. Yeah, he was Wednesday nights. So yeah, still still Wednesday nights. <laughs> yeah, it's still Wednesday nights hasn't changed. <laughs> That's good. By um, the way, you mentioned yeah. his name. I need that book from you. Yes. yes Just please, send me your address, Jake, inshallah yeah, I will. Because I need the. I was actually, I I started <laughs> translating it and I got into like um. I've gotten a significant way through the book, and then his website crashed. I don't know. I can't get on his website. Seriously? Yeah. No so I can't get the book, and it's been like a month now. And oh, I actually, no I actually way. raised, I actually raised some funds to translate it as well. So like, I feel like it's on my shoulders, and I have to do that. So inshallah, we'll yeah, we'll get that book. But all right, back to you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Shaykh, that's me. And again, mm-hmm. spending time with obviously family. Alhamdulillah, my wife's also studying. Um, okay, good. So, and it was you know, it was her dream to come. It wasn't like just kind of because it's my dream. Mm-hmm. It kind of has to become her dream. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, she wanted to come. So, you know, I think in terms of studies, um, getting a qualification is not on my mind at all. Mm. You know, it never has been, inshallah, inshallah, it never will be, mm. um, you know, but I think, so there might be some people who are like, yeah, maybe they're studying quicker, but I think even if I reach a certain level later, if I'm going, having looked after, for example, all the different aspects of my life, like you mentioned earlier, Shaykh, it's more valuable into how Allah wants us to reach him. So for example, yeah, if you don't go, if you don't exercise, of course, you can spend that time studying. You don't spend time with your family. You can spend it studying. So you can finish 10 years and maybe five years, for example, right? Mm. If you give your body, it's right. You give your family, it's right. You give the Quran, it's right. You give everything, it's right. You go to the Haram regularly, right? Of course, you're not going to be able to study as much in terms of hours, mm. right? But the result of that, even if it takes a little bit longer, will be, I think, more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, more effective as a human being in society, in the world. Mm. Um, than someone who's only, only, only studying. Yeah. So that's my outtake. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I love what you mentioned. It's an important issue. It's an important part, hundred percent of, of being yeah. there is studying. 
but you're right it's not yeah, the only definitely, one definitely yeah. definitely definitely yeah. all right so, so yeah. fiqh usul and philosophy huh philosophy yeah so with uh fiqh what are you doing in fiqh so we're doing luma, luma the classic luma the yeah. classic book yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you yeah. doing in usul for um i'm just finishing finishing um shade sadr's al-halaqat al-thaniya okay so the second one are you going to do yeah, the third or are you going to go to like risal or kifaya or something um i'm not sure yet hmm. i'm not sure yet so i know our madrasa after this one they gave us al-mujaz which is what iranians normally study just to just to get us uh, you know acquainted with it after thaniya you and, do mujaz but it's, you don't actually do it okay. it's just for the sake of you getting to know the book because yeah. it's the traditional study they're not going to do the whole thing from beginning to end because you don't like like two halakas yeah. like so, a yeah. baby book yeah it's, yeah yeah <laughs> right i know right yeah. i know right so um but in terms of am i going to do a i thought i think i need to take advice on that yeah um it's, yeah it's interesting that you could see the this in in usul slowly slowly there's change happening in the hausa so when i was right. when i was studying the halakat were studied but very, very rarely. Like, really? I'd say like really? 95% were traditional usul classes and then maybe 5% halakha. Really? I did halakha. I did, I did ula and thani and I did part of thalitha and part of kafaya. So kind of together. Right. Yeah, to, right, get, right, to right. get both of the different abari and all of that. But there weren't, there weren't nearly as many teachers for halakha as there are now. Right. So Halakha has become much more popular now than it was, you know, it was a decade yeah. ago. Which is very interesting. Like I you think, can see the, the the progression and change in the right. system. Shaykh, I think this itself is a point because you know I think um, even with myself, with so many of us, even with my own relatives, right? They they have no idea what Hausa is. I mm. had no idea what Hausa was before before you know seeing it from close. Mm. The thing is, just like this place, you go and you become. A Maulana or like a Sheikh or something, and then you come back and you lead Jamal prayers. You know that's what Hawaz is. So like, people have no I like, and there's so many assumptions about it. So I remember once, because you mentioned how you know how is it? You see, it's progressing, it's changing. It's not like this, you know, static backward place where you know you're told to submit without question. In fact, with myself, I think before coming, I was a very black and white person, and I think maybe being young, it wasn't. You know, not too much to blame, inshallah. <laughs> but, you know, very black and white. But coming yeah. here is what's opened my mind. Coming here is what makes me appreciate the complexity of things. Mm. It was being here that made me appreciate that it's not always black and white, but many shades of grey. And that's the test. Yep. Black and white is too easy. You have to choose between, between good and better and bad and worse sometimes. Not only good and bad. Yep. Um, so people don't realize this about this place. This is, you know, an amazing place. It really opens your mind. Progress, progress is being made. I was, um, I was so... actually talking. I, I give a class to people who teach Islamic studies here in Sydney. So I teach oh, the no teachers. Way. Yeah. So it's actually a very <laughs> interesting class. And in this class, we we talk about various aspects of Islam. So they want me to touch upon a number of different uh, topics. So we did. A few sessions on aqaid, we did a few sessions on ahkam, and now we're doing akhlaq. But I remember last this last week, we had a discussion about the difference between hausa and university. 
right? So I've, no I've been to both, right? And right. I, I was, was <laughs> I was a terrible student in high school, right? In high school, right. I was horrendous. But then I went to Hausa <laughs> and I learned how to study, right? And in Hausa, like, especially after the first two years, all the concentration is on how do you critically analyze this text, right? So you're you're dissecting word by word, sentence by sentence, the, the text that's in front of you. And you're trying to ascertain whether or not his arguments make sense, right? And you're not right. you're not looking at the the you know the scholar who wrote the book who obviously you respect and but you're looking at what's been said and whether or not you can agree with it, right? Absolutely. And then Absolutely. as you progress as well, so when you go into like Darsa Kharij or Bahta Kharij and you go into the higher levels, you that's all you're doing is you're looking at different opinions. And you're looking at different ahadith and different usuli principles, and you're you're trying to put them all together to try and and analyze them, and try to throw out the the opinions or the ahadith that are that are weak, and right. and try to find the ones that are stronger and support them, or maybe you know once in a while you might come up with an an opinion that. Obviously, it has to be defensible through Islamic sources. That might be new. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not Mirages, so it doesn't matter at the end of the day. But you're, you're, you're what's it called? Trained you're to think you're trained, trained to think that way. Exactly. Right. So when I went to uni, I was t- I was telling the the class, like I went to uni, and the the system is completely different there. Like although they do encourage critical thought, right, and analyzing text analyzing at least a question the level of analyzation is way lower and even in the uh, like the example i gave was you know when you start a a class in the house always the first class is defining what the word means so fiqh what is fiqh? Uzul, what is falsafe what is falsafe and whatever whatever it is you're defining that word right and that that's the subject matter of this lesson so I remember I was doing in Maka- when I went to when I studied Makassib, right? Mm-hmm. There's the de- there's the discussion of what is the definition of al-bay, right? Right. Transaction or buying and selling. Yeah. What what is what is the definition of this word? And Sheikh Ansari goes over it and he he you know presents a few options. He critiques the definition and then he comes up with his own definition, right? And it's and it's a <laughs> It's an interesting conversation. And then there the you know the people who comment upon Makasib and they write their their shah or whatever, they take that discussion and they open up even more. And I I was studying Imam Khomeini's commentary on this on Makasib. And he's commentated on a commentary on a commentary of Makassib. So it's like the few, no a few, yeah. it's a few chains down. And the wow. discussion of this word went over 45, or I think it went over 80 something pages. And it took us four months to study the definition of this word in class. Four months, right? And then I went wow. to, to uni and... <laughs> I went into a sociology class, and in this sociology class, the teacher's like, yep, so definition of sociology, 
Some people say this. Some people say that. It's not really known. All right, let's move on. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is this? But it, it it's. But I mean, at uni, at, at university, one of the the positives there, there's some positives of studying there as well. So like the breadth that you get. So you get a lot of information that's not at, nowhere near as deep as you would get in Hausa, but the right. amount of information you get is way more, right? And you're you're encouraged to study everything that's been written about a certain field. So, like when I was doing psychology, I had to write a, like a mini thesis on help seeking behavior, right? So like why people would go and seek professional help. So I had to read every single article that was ever written about this issue no. and to be able to figure out where where the holes in in the research is like where what hasn't been discussed yet what what can i do to add to the the discussion right right whereas right. we have nothing like that in the house like there's no right. there's no bank of all right everything that's been discussed about homes we're going to go in and we're going to look at this and we're going to look at one little minute detail. All right. We're going to look at, you know, homes on gifts. Do we have to pay homes for gifts or not? Right. And obviously there's difference of opinion amongst the Miraja on this one. Right. So right, then yeah, you're looking yeah. at you. So then you'd be looking at, all right, you know, this person says this, this person says that. And you, you just build upon it and you'd have this bank right so like google scholar has a bank right. of all of the articles and you'd yeah. be able to it wouldn't be google scholar yeah. or whatever comb yeah. comb scholar whatever <laughs> whatever it is and then you'd but it'd be like there's definitely ways to to improve so there's positives and negatives on both sides but of course the critical analysis in the house is off the charts like that's that's what really i think defines the the style of studying is that you are Really, you're taught to really look and and examine and look at other opinions and I remember like my teachers when when there was a an opinion they didn't agree with they would explain it in such a way that you would accept it like their knowledge of the other opinion is so strong that they could right. explain it in a way that's acceptable right and then it and then explain why they think it's not right so you have <laughs> Absolutely. It's really, it's an amazing experience. People have, the thing is like, people have so little information about Hausa. Um, I remember, like, this is something that they'll be alien to people, a lot of people. It was alien to myself, a lot of my relatives. So, for for example, I remember going back in summer, some years ago, so I'd been here maybe three years at that time, three, four years. I went back in summer. And, you know, we had, you know, family gatherings as we do. So, um there was one of our relatives, far relatives, but um, he um, was giving me advice, right? So, um, oh yeah, just put this out there. There's no one else in the house except my wife and myself. Mm-hmm. And our whole family, no one, no extended relative, no one at all. So I'm the first one, alhamdulillah. So um, this relative of mine, he's giving me advice, right? You know, as like an older, you know, figure. So he's like, look, um, look, son, um, you, um, you know, you're there, you're studying, it's good, but you know, if you hear anything unreasonable, if you hear anything that goes against your reason, don't accept it. Make sure you question it. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, thank you for the advice, but you have no idea what this place is. Like, this is the place you're told to reason. This is the place you're told to analyze and not accept blindly. Like, and I was thinking to myself, what 
is in his mind? What image does he have in his mind about Hawza? I literally think it's just, they think it's a place you just go maybe learn some du'as, recite, I wish, I, I wish we'd learn du'as here. <laughs> but, um, you know, just go there, learn some stories, learn some, you know, like, hocus pocus stuff for giving lectures and speeches and, you know, crowd pleasing. Yeah. That's literally what the house is some people. And it's so like, it's, it's just the opposite. And is, I was is. just amazed at how much ignorance is out there mm. regarding it. Mm. Uh, True. All right, because... philosophy. What are you doing in philosophy? <laughs> We're doing a bidayat al-hikmah by Allah wa ta'ala wa rahmatullah alayhi. So Did you say bidayat or nahayat? Bidayat, bidayat. Yeah, so um, we've done two thirds of it, mm-hmm. um, and inshallah, one third is left, last third is left. And I, it's my favorite subject, by the way, Shaykh. I'm yeah, loving it. It is, it's I an amazing love- subject. I wish I would have done more in philosophy when I was there. So that's something that that I wish I would have done more. I've done a lot after Hausa, actually. So I did some, I did, I did, uh, I don't think I finished Badaya, to be honest. I did part of Badaya, and I did some like. I don't know, baby courses in some of the schools on philosophy. And obviously the Akkad classes you have have philosophy in them, but they don't concentrate 100% on philosophy. So it's something yeah. I wish I would have done more because obviously in the West, like these these philosophical discussions come up and right. it's it's right. good to be able to engage with them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I've done I've yeah. done a lot of research afterwards and I feel I have a... Not a command, obviously, but I have like an understanding of the various issues that that would come up. Um, but as I said, I would, you know, the more you study, the stronger you are. And right. And obviously, studying in Qom is differently than reading books. You know what I mean? So you get you get a much better understanding, and you have a teacher to really to help you. So it's good that you're studying it, and inshallah, keep up. And when you come back, right. It's not something just like fiqh and usul. It's not something you're going to use in everyday conversation, right? It's not of course. That, it's not something that you you know you're going to go on the mimbar and, and talk about you know some deep philosophical concept, <laughs> <Would you? laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But it yeah. does come up from time to time, and you can definitely use the training that you have to be able to you know understand where other people are coming from, and then be able to kind of engage with that you know what i mean so it's it's a good it's a good topic to study for sure yeah so i'm, I'm it's my favorite subject as in I, I really enjoy it because i literally feel like my mind is being engaged i literally mm. i literally feel it's like you know food for my mind like your mind always needs to chew on something right it needs to be busy mm. otherwise shaitan makes it busy <laughs> so um i think it's it, it, it does that for me it literally yeah. it, it does yeah. that for me it really and the thing is, like, when you feel you understood something, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. nothing beats it. You know, like, you feel like you yourself understood something, mm. right? For yourself. It's like, that's mine now. You mm. know, it, it, it's the best feeling in the world. So, I, I'm really enjoying it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Sayyid, thank you so much for for accepting this invitation and, and older, talking with us. Life. And It's the best. Like, <laughs> I love this, this, this part of my... Uh, my what my site my channel because i get to talk to my friends and that's it <laughs> all we do is have a conversation it's the best though inshallah um we'll we'll be in touch 
and Definitely I'll, I'll send you my address. I need that book from you, Walla. Um, yes, yes. The same address, inshallah, we'll have yeah. it posted to you. <laughs> and, and it's a blessing to to have you and to be connected with you, and inshallah, we'll continue to be connected. So it's good. It's um, me. Please keep That's us in our good. prayers, especially next time you go to the Haram. I don't know if it is it opened up again or not. Uh, the courtyards are open for limited hours. Okay. So alhamdulillah, yeah, inshallah. we're getting there. And keep safe, inshallah, obviously. Likewise, dear Shaykh. Inshallah. It's really good speaking to you. You too. And thank you for everything. No worries. Assalamu alaikum, brother. Take care. What? You haven't subscribed yet? Mate, get on the ball. Subscribe to the channel.